It's Sunday the 15th of September 2019. This is Monocle's House View with Emma Nelson. A very warm welcome to the next half hour. Today, Britain's Parliament may be suspended, but it's conference season, so we will get our political fill. Also coming up, we voyage along the west coast of Norway on a postal ship. Plus my guest, the journalist and communications expert Simon Brook, will go through the weekend newspapers too. That's all to come in the next 30 minutes. Monocle's House View starts now. Britain's Parliament was suspended this week, albeit noisily, and we find out on Tuesday if it was done so illegally. But that doesn't mean the voices of the UK's warring politicians will go quiet for the next few weeks. Far from it, because it's conference season, and the country's main political parties retreat to a resort, usually grey and coastal, and tell each other how magnificent they are. Except, like everything else this year politically, it won't be like that at all. Well, Robin Lustig is a former presenter on the BBC, and Simon Prook is a journalist and communications expert, both of whom with keen political minds. Robin, welcome to the programme. Simon, welcome as well. Um, Robin, if we may begin with you, um, before we move on to the uh, the messes of the political um, conferences which we're expecting, there have been some uh, more high-profile defections, according to the papers this morning. Well, Robin will uh, join us when he, we can. Uh, Simon, let's have a look at uh, what's going on with uh, the high-profile defection of a of a man who, of a politician who wanted to um, be Tory leader about six or seven weeks ago. This is Sam uh, Gima, Sam Gima, Sam Gima, um, however you pronounce his name. Um, and he's now become a Liberal Democrat. He has, that's right. Um, one of a number of uh, politicians from both sides of the political divide um, who have uh, left their uh, political homes and joined the Liberal Democrats. Um, on the uh, left, we've seen Ch- Chuka Ramuna and Luciana Berger and obviously um, Sam Gima's uh, former uh, colleague. Um, well, he is, she's now a colleague again. Sarah Wollaston, uh, again, moved from the Tories to the Lib Dems. I think obviously this is great for the Lib Dems as they kick off their conference to uh, to get a, de- uh, a defection like this. Um, I think uh, one of the, the good things that the, the, the Lib Dem spin doctors will be talking about when they talk to journalists at the conference is to point out that, you know, there's a signal here that people on the sort of moderate, uh, open-minded, collegiate wing of both parties are now joining them. So f- from the Labour Party and the Conservative Party. So if you're looking for people who are moderate and not shouty, not extreme, then you know, follow these uh, MPs to the Lib- Liberal Democrats. So they'll obviously be making an awful lot of that. Um, in fact, I think the, the Lib Dems are probably going to have one of the best conferences. Um, they are doing well on the poll in the polls, not not brilliantly, not the kind of numbers that they need to really take power, but um, <clears throat> certainly uh, they do look a lot better than the the Tories and the Lib De- uh, sorry and Labour, who of course will be tearing themselves apart on Brexit. Robin, the defection of Sam Gima from the from the uh, Tory party to the Liberal Democrats. Um, an article in the Observer today says there's a hugely emotional side to it. He's been involved in the Conservative Party for two decades. He's fought for the party. He's not a typical Tory recruit, but he talks about the the idea of being an outcast. It's the 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 lines, the battle lines, are being drawn so sharply now, aren't they? 
Yes, they really are. And I mean, what we're seeing is the way in which the uh, the tribal nature of politics in which people really do identify very closely with political parties, which they may have been members of for many, many years, is, is, is beginning to change. People are moving from one tribe to another. And uh, that's really quite unusual because in British politics, people do tend to stay in one party for for most of their lives. I mean, what, what's fascinating about where the Lib Dems are at the moment is the way in which they do seem to have the wind in their sails. The momentum is very much with them. They've had, I think, six MPs join them so far this year, both from Labour and from Conservatives. So, yes, they've, they've got a lot going for them. But it has to be said, um, we've been here before, that the Lib Dems are, are sort of fated to be the bridesmaids and never the bride. They, um, they have had great times that i mean let's not forget they were part of a coalition government not that long ago um, they had several dozen mps so uh they've got a steep hill still to climb but they have tapped into uh this this feeling that the two big parties the tories and labor somehow aren't able to give people what they want and particularly for those people who are still um very very seriously opposed to the idea of britain leaving the eu then the lib dems do offer a home I wonder whether, Simon, we are now in a in an idea where the Lib Dems have are in a slightly stronger position than Robin perhaps described there. Well, that in the in the past, I remember once when the Liberal Democrats were campaigning, I think it was in two thousand and ten before they came before they joined the coalition, someone said they'd be really great just as a pressure group, but they're not really a proper political party. Um, I wonder whether now the moment is coming because of having such a strong view on Brexit, namely withdraw Article 30, uh, 50, I should say. My goodness, that's etched into my brain. I don't know how I could make that mistake. Um, withdraw Article 50 and forget it, scrap the whole plan. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because normally uh, the criticism of the Lib Dems is they're a little bit wishy-washy in the centre. And traditionally, polling has shown that if you ask people to name a Lib Dem policy, the only one that people could come up with uh, was proportional representation. And of course, that could be, it could be said, was a little bit self-serving, really. But yeah, this is really interesting. I mean, very brave, I have to say, of Joe Swinson, the new Lib Dem leader, to 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 go for, to really nail her party's colours to the mast here. Um, it, it really does make it clear that uh, they really do have this very distinctive policy. It's a big risk though as well because um, basically what it's saying to anybody who is uh, a lever or is, is sort of even undecided you're not for us, uh, don't bother with us. So we'll see how it works. I think, I mean, imagine her policy, her, her strategy is essentially to hope that either Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn will be decapitated because she's made it clear, hasn't she, she won't work for them. But if they go, then perhaps what she would see as a more moderate um, uh, leader would, would replace them. And then perhaps there could be an opportunity for a, a coalition of the willing, other people who really don't want to see Brexit, and that would be a coalition government. Robin, um, Simon mentioned that... Uh Joe Swinson, the Lib Dem leader, is taking a big risk here with nailing her colours to the mast. Do you think it might pay off? Well, I mean, it, it is a big risk, and, and, and in politics, risks sometimes don't work. I mean, here's what I can't quite work out. Um, it's quite likely that the next general election, whether it is late this year or early next year, will come after the UK has left the EU, either with or without a deal. Um, what's she going to say then? 
She can't revoke Article 50 because it, it will have happened. So if she really thinks the Lib Dems are going to campaign on a platform of rejoining the EU, she's not going to get a lot of votes because there is plenty of evidence that what a substantial number of British voters now want, whether they voted leave or remain, is to, in the phrase, get this thing over with. What unfortunately I think what a lot of voters don't understand is that this thing isn't going to be over with for at least another decade because however the uh, UK leaves the EU if indeed it does it will then have years and years and years of utterly tedious and extremely bad tempered trade talks to try to uh, re uh, try to put together a new trading relationship both with the EU and with other countries so she has got a problem on the other hand the Lib Dems have cut through what they need and what worked very well for them in the European election when they came up with this uh, great slogan bollocks to Brexit if I may say so so early on a Sunday morning um, it, it worked it cut through everybody understood exactly where they stood and for a lot of people they liked it so revoke article 50 is nice and simple it's nice and straightforward it's none of this bit of this bit of that that jeremy corbyn is doing so yes it'll work for her at least in the short term um bollocks to brexit i'm going to sit because my seven-year-old was running around the park yesterday with an eu flag goodness knows where he got those ideas from um simon let's move on to um the idea of of, of party conferences yeah. it's the liberal democrats this week then it's labor and the tories or tories and labor i can't remember which um but you as a former Tory communications officer, you've you've walked the walk, haven't you? What's yeah. it like in there? It is horrendous. A party conference, even if it's going well, is horrendous for the party apparatchiks. You get about two hours sleep a night, and there's this real tension because, on the one hand, uh, if you know working in the communications department, or whatever, you see this as a wonderful opportunity for a three, four, five day advert for your party, a party political broadcast where your people come up with exciting popular ideas and are seen as as competent but nice people as well. And the whole thing works really smoothly uh, as, you as you grab this airtime, this coverage. On the other hand, you've got a big constituency there, literally, of party workers. And these are the people who do the, even these days, the knocking on the doors, the delivering of leaflets, all that kind of stuff. And they are absolutely essential. They want to go and have a really good debate. They want to open the wounds. They want to have an argument with the other side. They want to take the ministers off the platforms and away from the interview studios and give them a bit of a, either a bit of a love or a bit of a roughing up one with the other. So if you're running one of these conferences, as I say, you've got to keep your, your grasp roots happy but at the same time you've got to use your key spokespeople the most popular ones to, to you know to really promote the message and the party robin in in more in more traditional times um the conference season is seen as a traditionally deathly dull period how much would you agree with that oh god i've been to so many party conferences <laughs> and i have to say i am very very relieved that i don't have to go to them anymore i mean there was a time and and i don't want to sound like a sort of really old grump now but i mean there was a time when there were genuinely interesting debates and uh, things happened and there were lots of good news stories coming out of them these days they tend to be so carefully managed and of course i understand what simon says there's always the risk of something going badly wrong at a conference but it tends not to look the lib dems conference will be a great love fest for joe swinson the tory conference will be an absolutely puke making love fest for boris johnson uh because he is incredibly popular among his party activists even if he isn't among all of his mps the labor conference might be interesting because jeremy corbyn is not loved by all parts of his party he's loved by fairly substantial 
part of his activist base but certainly not by his MPs and not by all activists and I think at the Labour conference you will see a lot of people saying why on earth aren't we doing better at the polls we've got this really you know we've got this conservative government which is lurching from one constitutional crisis to another and according to most opinion polls they are still leading Labour uh, in some polls they're leading Labour by a very substantial margin so Labour will be the interesting one but um, Labour uh, party conferences in general are such bizarre occasions because the people who go there are so odd they are people for whom politics is the be all and end all they live breathe and sleep politics and that puts them in a very small minority uh, they are very odd some of them are completely barking mad and uh, frankly uh, you know the fact that I don't have to spend time with them anymore comes as a huge relief um, Simon you've had to deal with these characters that uh, Robin has uh, described so fragrantly just then um, you mentioned the idea of managing the press there but how much actually is a party conference one of those times where you actually have to marry in manage internal factions we're going to see it split in Labour um, I can also imagine that although the Tory party conference is going to be a bit of a love fest brilliant journalists such as Robin are going to try and slide a knife through the ribs to try and see who actually is really at odds with each other yeah it's really interesting isn't it the uh, the t- two very opposing uh, aims uh, you know robin as you say you're in there to as a journalist to look for trouble and with my journalist hat on i would also be looking to for those splits to get one minister attacking another minister or to interview some grassroots people who will say that the party leadership is just a load of rubbish um but yeah for the for the party for the apparatchiks for the spin doctors the thing is to try and control those that debate keep it happening behind closed doors Um, and I think one of the things that's happened in the last few years is that um, uh, the the media has got a lot cleverer when it comes to actually going to those uh, those closed meetings you know to to finding out what's going on in the corridors to interviewing people um, you know from the constituencies so they're not just taking the message uh, from the platform um, that the party apparatchiks want them to see because I mean that obviously appeals to them so it's a real challenge now for spin doctors and I think especially given I mean as you say it's going to be a love-in for Joe Swinson the Lib Dems are probably going to have a wonderful time but even with the love-in for Boris Johnson there will be plenty of opportunity for you know for journalists to go out and find people who uh, really don't like him and you know are going to have a go at him I mean I'd be I'm sure somebody's already got Ken Clark for instance lined up to have a go at Boris Johnson over the Tory party conference Robin what do we think of Joe Swinson um she is obviously attracting an awful lot of attention and support from within the political sphere um but someone a couple of days ago said she'd be great if she didn't look like a provincial solicitor and if she had a bit of voice training that made her sound a little bit more serious do you think she's actually got the gravitas to lead the Liberal Democrats to any kind of successful progress? Oh, I think gravitas is much overvalued. Um, I, I think what Joe Swinson has is novelty value. You know, she's a new, fresh face on the stage. Um, so she's very attracted to journalists because she's somebody new to write about. Um, I, I've just been reading a rather interesting interview, big interview with her in today's Sunday Times, which is which is less than completely uh, complimentary about her. She is untested, of course, as a leader. She's only been leader for, for a 
matter of a few weeks. But um, she's a fresh face, she's a fresh voice, she's young, she's female, all of that is, is in her favour. Um, I think that a lot of people at the moment are so turned off by politics. I mean, I'm a, I'm a political anorak and I'm turned off by politics. It, it, it's not been pleasant to watch over the last several months. So here she is, um, she's young, she's a young mum and all, all of that. I think that's all to the good and it is quite interesting now if you look on the the television political shows they do tend to feature when they can as many young women uh, politicians as they can because they know that there's more of a chance that viewers will stay with them i mean ken clark who yes is turned into a sort of national treasure but god he's been around for a long time and i, I suspect there are quite a lot of people who just can't bear the sight of him anymore so i'm all in favor of fresh faces and um, gravitas can wait there's something very briefly um you mentioned um Kenneth Clark. The one thing that has always, always struck me, and everybody who's ever had any contact with him politically or just reading what he says and does, is that he's honest. Um, how much are we going to hear honesty coming through in politics in the next few months? Simon, what do you think? I think we're going to hear a lot of honesty, actually, I have to <laughs> say. I think as the party discipline has broken down um, uh, amongst certainly the, the Tories and, and, and Labour, I think, which, which I like. I mean, I agree with you, Robin. I'm an political anorak as well. I've been bored to death by Brexit like, mo- like most people. But I do think what is interesting is, as I say, the, the you know, the whips have less power now and the, to- and the, the people in both political parties, main political parties, can actually speak their minds. So not great if you're a party manager, but I mean... Otherwise, I think it's uh, to be welcomed. You're listening to Monocle's House View. It's Sunday, the 15th of September, 2019. My thanks there to Robin Lustig. Thank you very much indeed, Robin, for joining us on Monocle 24. Simon Brooks stays with us to go through the papers. Stay tuned. I'll meet the writers this week. Join me, Georgina Godwin, as I talk to Nicola Tallis. Starting her career in the beauty industry, she was told she shouldn't bother with university. This talented historian, curator, lecturer and author now has a PhD and has just published her fourth book on prominent women in history. That's Nicola Tallis on Meet the Writers, premiering this Saturday at 1500 London time and thereafter available as a podcast. You're listening to Monocle's House View with Emma Nelson. The time here in London is 9.17, 10.17 if you're breakfasting in Zurich after a brisk run. Joining me in the studio to go through the Sunday papers is Simon Brooke, the uh, political expert, um, communications expert and journalist. Um, Simon, let's have a look at the Sunday Times. Um, it is the, it's part two of a great weekend Cameron fest. Um, David Cameron's broken his silence on what happened in 2016 with the Brexit referendum. Um, and the papers were covered with it yesterday. Uh, ruined my weekend in the park because I read <laughs> yes. the Times article and uh, I, I don't tell you how I felt about it. Um, but he's, you know, again, he's all over the place in the Sunday Times, isn't he? This is part two. Yes, the blood absolutely. Fest. But, but yeah. the, the, the language is getting fruitier, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah, exactly. The Liars of Leave is the headline in the Sunday Times. And uh, uh, he, the, the former Prime Minister blasts the disloyalty of Boris's breakfast team. So, I mean, there is nothing more boring than a political memoir, is it? It's either how wonderful was I plus a bit of point, uh, you know, uh, score settling. But this actually, I think, really is interesting. I think there's a sort of there's a sort of bitterness that comes across, uh, especially today, as you say, with the emotional aspect of the language and stuff. I mean, I think, you know, one of David Cameron's like him or loathe him, one of his 
um, sort of the reasons why he was electorally popular and, and I think people preferred him over Gordon Brown, over Ed Miliband perhaps, was the fact that he came across as sunny and cheerful and, and a decent bloke. Yes, he's a toff, um, a Tory toff, but he came across as sort of quite upbeat and and, and positive. Um, but we're really seeing his anger now um, at Boris Johnson and the Leave campaign. A lot of people might look at that and say, look, David Cameron, you know, you called the referendum, you fought a pretty rubbish campaign, you lost it. Um, it's a bit late now to, you know, to start uh, complaining. I wonder whether um, those in Tory party uh, central office will be adoring this because I think we can be we can be safe in saying that Cameron is not a popular figure. Um, his legacy is uh, pretty catastrophic because of the Brexit referendum. And maybe it will just play directly into the like of Michael Gove's hands, Boris Johnson, by saying, oh dear, Cameron doesn't like us. Isn't that a shame? <laughs> exactly, absolutely. So, if you, my enemy's back. enemy. <laughs> exactly. If uh, if you don't like uh, don't like David Cameron, then this is the least worst option, sort of thing. And um, let's have a look at uh, what is um, else is happening in the newspapers as well. Um, there's also an interesting, uh, sticking with the Sunday Times, an interesting story here from Neil Ferguson, um, the uh, um, uh, professor uh, the of of, of history. Um, Milbank Family Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Stanford, uh, to give him his correct title. And he's talking about the fact that uh, at the end of the day, um, one of the reasons why America has been so successful is not necessarily because of its uh, pol- its military power and even its sort of cultural and, uh, you know, uh, uh, significance or whatever. But really, it comes about with money. Uh, the dollar is what runs the world economy, whatever. And he's flagging up a risk to the states by pointing out that increasingly now, of course, we have uh, electronic payments in, in, in China, he points out, um, you know, significantly given uh, its uh, difficult relationship with the United States at the moment. Nobody uses cash. You know, you use your phone, you pay instantly. He also points out, um, makes reference to Libra, the uh, proposed online currency from facebook and he makes the point that if the the if the united states doesn't really take action here and watch us harness this this trend this new development um it could find itself on a very very much on the back foot as china and other countries use these international currencies to um assert their power indeed I mean, where is he's he's, he's saying that how how great is the risk to America through for, through well, this? Pretty pretty big. I mean, huge. You know, um, if if it doesn't do this, not only will it lose economic power, but it will lose uh, political power and soft power as well. And I think it's what's really interesting is ever since the emergence of PayPal, we've seen these cross border international currencies, electronic payments or whatever, which have really taken uh you know a lot of economic power out of the hands of government um and obviously america according to this piece has to look at it but then so do lots of other uh, governments as well around the world certainly in terms of influence and tax take as well of course um and finally you wanted to talk about vaping yes i did well i don't know about you but i mean i know david cameron ruined your uh afternoon yesterday people vaping really ruins my day there's something so annoying about it i don't know what it is and i've just been waiting for this story to emerge and here we are finally i mean it is a serious story what actually. makes you so cross about vaping Simon? so daft if you want to have a cigarette have a have a cigarette you're on the you mean, nearly don't swore just that <laughs> i know we nearly had another b word as in uh, uh, i'll leave that to robin um but uh, there's something really annoying about this i just think this this technology and the fact that all our high streets seem to be now uh tattoo parlors and you know vaping shops or whatever um it was bound to happen wasn't it as i say there's a serious element to this story 
because as the observer points out, there have been six deaths in the US uh, linked to e-cigarettes. And so there's a big piece here just investigating uh, whether this, you know, vaping really is safe, in inverted commas, and an alternative to smoking, or whether we actually really need to pay attention to it and carry out some more tests. Thank you very much indeed. If you're vaping near Simon Brook, be prepared to be attacked. It's 9.23 here in London. Let's head to Norway now. Music to get away from it all there. That was Near Light by the composer Olafur Arnolds, and the reason we're playing it is because it's being performed by the Trondheim soloists. Well, our friend Charles Hecker has taken his adventurous spirit one step further, and he joins us now from the deck of a Norwegian postal delivery ship in Trondheim, currently docked there. Ahoy there, Charles. Where are you? What can you see? Good morning, Emma. I can see Trondheim slowly fading into the distance as we thread our way through Norway's third longest fjord um, out into the open sea after having just had a breakfast stroll through the center of Trondheim, which is an absolutely beautiful, charming town. Um, what exactly are you doing? Um, we've been told that you're on a, you have been on a Norwegian postal ship. What took you there and what are you doing? That's right. I had the great good fortune to fly north of the Arctic Circle for a business trip. And once I was there, I decided it was a good idea to cross something off my bucket list that has a a trip that I've always wanted to do, and that is see Norway from the sea. And so I got on the Hurtigruten, which is a company that delivers cargo and mail and tourists up and down the coast of Norway from Kirkenes all the way down to Bergen. And I boarded Friday evening in Stamsund, and we're now about two-thirds of the way through the journey. Um, Just tell us a little bit more about the idea of of, of going on a postal ship. Does it feel very much as if you're surrounded by bags? Is there a slightly, a bit more of a Scandinavian uh, sort of simple style there? Yes, I have to sort of adjust what your perceptions might be. We're not on a tugboat with canvas bags strewn across the deck and a coal stove down below. Um, This is a fairly large commercial operation. And while it acts as a lifeline for some of the incredibly remote and isolated villages up and down the west coast of Norway, um, make no mistake, it's a commercial operation and there are hundreds of passengers on this boat tucked very comfortably into a sort of Scandinavian, minimalist, basic, but stylish um, vessel that will make 14 stops between Stamsund and Bergen uh, and when we were on the the key at Stamsund, some of the cargo being unloaded were frozen desserts for a local supermarket. Uh, Charles, it's Simon Brook here. I have to say, incredibly envious. It sounds absolutely wonderful. I just I was just thinking that obviously there's a, people are turning their backs on 
uh, on airline travel now or questioning, you know, because of the environmental impact and stuff. I just wondered, is there a sort of is there a sort of romance uh, by of traveling by ship? Can you imagine more people thinking, what the heck, I'll take more time to do it and protect the environment and have this uh, these wonderful views? Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, the first thing is that that the ship itself and 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 the Hurtigruten um, places enormous emphasis on the environment. Um, they are very very careful about where they sail, about how they sail, and about what we do on board. Uh, and so, yes, this is a green way of traveling. And when you look out, I'm standing on the back deck on the fifth floor um, next to the flag of the Norwegian Postal Service, uh, and as you look around you at this environment, which is utterly unspoiled and, and absolutely gorgeous, um, just the thought of doing anything to damage the vistas that you see around you and, and the purity and, 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 and the cleanliness of the water you know, that you can see through the depths, um, that idea is just absolutely anathema. Uh, Thomas Charles, I mean, you, the, the joys of solitude and a breathtaking view every single day, what does it do for, to an individual's mind? Um, it explodes it, but in the kindest, gentlest way. Um, for urban dwellers, um, being north of the Arctic Circle in a tiny village with a population of 492 people, um, many of whom are the warmest, most gracious, most welcoming people you would ever want to meet, um, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And looking out at a view that never ends and, and feeling a certain heaviness and sweetness to the air as you breathe it um, is cleansing, um, it's relaxing, and um, you just never want to leave. Charles Hecker, I'm afraid we do have to leave it, but we shall let you return <laughs> so to that mind-blowing solitude. Uh, Simon and I are looking on the internet how we can go and do that right now. now. Charles Hecker, our See seafaring, you soon. <laughs> seafaring explorer, a safe and pleasant journey. And thanks also to Thank Simon you. Brooke. A pleasure to Thank have you. you with us inside the thankfully warm and dry Studio One, although I think you and I would swap places at a job. That's all we have time for today. Our supervising producer was Penn Ryland. Research was Naomi Potter and our studio manager was Max Bauer. I'm Emma Nelson. Goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great weekend.